Well, good morning, everyone. You know, as I was walking out and that slide comes up and it says simple. Now, how does that make someone feel? (laughs) And then I thought, no, Pastor Kent is saying, Miriam, if your new shoes are uncomfortable, take them off. (sighs) And I want you to know in the back row that everyone still lives even though my shoes are off, so we're good. Well, it's good to be here this morning and to share with you the Word of God. It's my privilege to look at a topic that God put in my heart called Living for a Cause Greater Than Self. And we're going to look at ten principles this morning as we go through this service. Now, in the 13th century, a man named William Wallace became an instrument of freedom from England's tyranny over Scotland. A very wicked king ruled England at the time, and then there was a tragedy in the life of William Wallace, and it launched him on living his life for a greater cause. Now, certainly when he started out, his cause was revenge. But soon his cause changed to become freedom for a nation. And then he challenged the, his countrymen, the commoners at that time, to fight for this freedom. But they responded to William Wallace that the enemy was too great, and he, they said, we might die on the battlefield. Wallace responded, yes, we might die. We will all die sooner or later. But we will die for a cause worth dying for, so that our children and their children might live in freedom. Now, many of you may be familiar with that phrase if you've watched the movie Brave Heart. William Wallace lived for a cause greater than himself. He put the freedom of his country and his people above all else. What a challenging statement. We will live for a cause worth dying for. The truth is that all of us here this morning is that we have a cause. We have a cause that's worth living for. We have a cause that's worth dying for. But my question today is when you get to where you're going with the cause that you are living for, where will you be? Throughout the summer, you've heard us talk about soul cravings. We've talked about engaging in meaningful conversations with co-workers and friends, talk to them about spiritual things. And in a way, that's what I'm doing here this morning. You see, soul cravings are nothing new. We all have them. We have a craving to belong, a craving to be accepted, a craving to feel significant, a craving to be loved, to be validated, a craving to have purpose. People crave for success, power, wealth, attention, Ladies crave for shoes that are comfortable. A man must have created high heels. Try walking on them, guys. You know, if I go into a shoe store and they try to sell me these six-foot ones, well, I guess that's six inches, whatever. Feels like six feet. I look at the sales clerk and I'll say, do you sell insurance? She looks... She looks at me like, oh, what a stupid blonde. (laughs) And I respond, 
No, but if I wore those shoes, I would need insurance. Anyway, people look, they crave, they crave for all kinds of things. They crave for answers to shed light on their worldview of God. They crave for meaning of life, meaning for existence. Whatever we crave will cause us to live our lives in a, in a certain way. Whatever we crave will cause us to make decisions that reflect our cause, to seek answers that will satisfy our inner longing to understand the purpose of life and relationships. And as people become aware of their soul cravings, they will often make life-changing choices and decisions, sometimes good decisions, and at other times very negative choices with very painful and destructive outcome. Several weeks ago, I sensed God stirring in my heart and asking me, for what cause are you doing the things you're doing? God reminded me of one of my life scriptures, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. When I first accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, that was my verse from Philippians. To live my life sold out for God, and that is still my cause. To live my life sold out for God, sold out to serving him and to serving his people. That's why it's a privilege for me to be on staff here at Center Street Church. Now, certainly I've not always succeeded in doing so, but God in his love and mercy has kept me even through the difficult times in my life. There have been times that I've questioned God, times when my faith has been challenged, times when I've said and done things I regret. But one thing that's kept me going is knowing that I'm living for a cause greater than myself. No, I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. And that's the wonderful thing for all of us, that we can experience that forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Now, as I contemplated my own spiritual journey, I was reminded of the story of Esther and how she had come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Her calling was not an easy calling, but she had a cause. I'm going to invite one of the young people from our church, Sack Goodman, to come and read the scripture this morning. Now, Sack graduated in June. He's going to be attending the University of Calgary in the fall doing some studies in political science, probably be a lawyer or a politician or a bodyguard for short preachers who don't wear shoes. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful to have Sack here today, actually. Talk about young people living for a cause. This young man, he has been in our church probably all your life, started volunteering around age nine. Around age nine. He volunteers every Sunday morning, ushering. So, Sack, go ahead and read God's word. Awesome. Don't wear my shoes. <laughs> no worries there. Esther 4, verses 12 to 17. So Hathach gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you are made queen for a time such as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me, 
Do not eat or drink for three days or three nights. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Thanks, Zach. The Book of Esther. Now, if we, I'm going to try within a short period of time just to give an overview of Esther. The, it's an historical narrative showing how God spared the people of Israel who were in exile. And he spared these people by way of a very courageous young Jewish lady who chose to live for a cause greater than self. Now, there's five key players in the book of Esther. You have Esther, who was an orphan. She was raised by her cousin, Mordecai. Now, keep this part in mind. Mordecai was in a position of a lot of influence with the king. And that's going to be very significant to our story. Then we have Queen Vashti. Then we have King, and the king is ex or something. From now on, it's King X. And then, so we have King X, and then we have Haman. Haman was a descendant of Agag. He was the king of the Amalekites. And they were wiped out by David and Saul. And so you can see the foundation of hatred here, because Haman did not like the Jews. And we will see what a proud and hateful heart will do, and just how destructive it is to live for selfish, self-absorbed causes. In chapter 1, King X decided to display his wealth for 180 days, a little bit narcissistic, I think. And then he followed that with a feast for another seven days. And on the seventh day, he called in his wife, Queen Vashti, and he wanted her to parade her beauty in front of everyone. Now, some scholars say that he wanted her to disrobe and do it that way. She refused. She stood for integrity and dignity. And because she refused, the king banished her from his presence for life. So then in chapter 2, Esther's chosen to be queen. She goes through 12 months of preparation before meeting the king. Now, keep in mind, Esther was a Jew, but the king did not know that. Now, we may look at this and think that God's timing is way off, but it's not. And that's principle number one. God prepares us before he sends us. And that's based on also Nehemiah 2, verses 1 to 8 as a cross-reference. And then we go into chapter 2, which records that Mordecai saved the king's life. Mordecai had alerted the king about an assassination attempt on the king's life. That good deed by Mordecai was not rewarded at the time, but keep that in mind, because it served as a blessing later on. So that's principle number two. God never forgets our labor of love. A cross-reference on that is Hebrews 6 and 10. Now we have chapter 3, where we see that Haman 
is then honored by the king. And Haman is given a high place of authority and position in the kingdom. But Haman, remember, he hated the Jews. And Haman wanted everyone to bow down to him, but Mordecai would not, because Mordecai is a Jew and he would only bow to God. So Haman is angry. And then his anger leads him to an execution plot against all of the Jews of the kingdom. There's a critical point here. You see, Haman would not let the past go. He wanted revenge. Now, perhaps you're here this morning. Something has happened in your life. And you are holding on to the past. You want revenge. Friends, this morning, there's a serious consequences for those that hold on to the past. Principle number three. Unforgiveness and bitterness are always destructive. A cross-reference on that is Hebrews 12 and 15 and Romans 8, 5 to 8. Unforgiveness and bitterness within people will cause them to make poor choices, will cause them to destroy relationships. And in Haman's case, it led to his own death. Mordecai had a humble heart. Haman had a proud heart. Mordecai's cause was others. Haman's cause was, life is all about me. I will get even. And you know, it's very sad that there's people who go through life that way. That life is so much about me, me, me. I will get even. I will make you pay. That's a proud heart. So in order to prevent the execution of all the Jews, Mordecai called upon Queen Esther to intercede with the king. Now, the king at that time did not know that Esther was a Jew, and she had no idea how the king was going to respond. Although God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, yet we can see the hand of God at work in the background. And that brings us to principle four. God's silence does not mean that he's absent. Based on Romans 8 and 28 and cross-reference also in Psalm 42. Esther's reluctance to approach the king is met by somewhat of a stern reaction from Mordecai. And Sack read it from Esther chapter 4, 14. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, I believe that here this morning, I I firmly believe it. Each and every person is sitting in this worship center or watching by live stream. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And my question is, but for what cause have you found the cause? Mordecai is challenging Esther. What cause are you living for? Today, as a pastor, I challenge you. 
What cause are you living for? Mordecai, in a way, he was saying to Esther, you just, is it just for the luxury of the palace, the prestige of success? Is it for what you can get out of life? Or do you recognize that there is a greater cause? So Esther agrees to appeal to the king, even though she knew that she was risking her life to do so. She knew that according to the law, that unless the king invited her into his presence, the law said she should not go. In chapter 5, Esther approaches the king, and she invites the king and Haman to a banquet. It's interesting to note that Esther did not demand her rights or her position as queen, but she respectfully said, if it pleases the king. And what I notice, if, if you read through Esther, even back in chapter 2, it says that Esther requested nothing. Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. She found favor in the king's sight. Well, how did she find favor? I think in big part because she showed respect. It wasn't easy for her, but she showed respect. If it pleases the king. She was still asking permission and not assuming things, not pushing her way in. That brings us to principle number five. God's timing is always best. God's timing is always best. Cross-reference on that is also Isaiah 40 and 31. Esther wanted to be in sync with God's timing. Meanwhile, we have Haman and his hatred for Mordecai, and it's growing. And on the advice of his friends, so be careful the friends you choose, on the advice of his friends and his wife, he built a gallows so that he could hang Mordecai. But now, as the story unfolds, it gets very interesting around chapter 6. Because there we see God moving in to save the Jewish people. The king cannot sleep. And he says, bring in the record books. Read to me some of the things that have happened. And at that time, they read the, the story about the time when Mordecai told the king about an attempted assassination on his life. And they, and they began to say about all the great deeds that Mordecai had done on behalf of the king. So the king hears this, and then he asks Haman. Remember, Haman is sort of a right hand to him. And he said, Haman, what should be done to a man who the king wants to honor? Now remember, Haman had an inflated ego. So Haman now is beginning to feel pretty important. And in his arrogance, he thinks that the king is obviously talking to him. Do you ever meet those kind of people? Life is all about me. And Haman tells the king in chapter 6, verses 7 to 9, well, if you really want to honor such a man, here's what you should do. I would suggest you get the king's horse. Maybe even have the king's royal robe. Put that robe on the man. Oh, and maybe even the royal crest. Put that upon the horse. And then lead him through the streets proclaiming, 
this is what's done for the man that the king delights in. And so the king said to Haman, wow, that, you know, that's a good idea. Well, he may not have said, wow, but you know what I mean. He said, that's a good idea. Can you imagine what Haman was thinking when then the king looked at Haman and said, Haman, I want you to do that for Mordecai. Not for Haman. Can you imagine the shock, the horror, the humiliation, the anger, the bitterness, the unforgiveness that Haman must have suffered? See, whatever is deep inside will come up in its ugly poison at those times. Haman wanted to hang Mordecai, but the king wanted to honor Mordecai. That gives us life principle number six. What you crave determines how you behave. What you crave determines how you behave. Our own Val Lesky wrote that quote as part of the I crave that we had throughout the summer. So now we see a portrait unfolding of a proud heart and a humble heart. So let's just walk through what some of those characteristics are. For a proud heart, which Haman had, he was quick to blame others. But the humble heart, like Mordecai and Esther, takes responsibility. The proud heart is very critical and fault-finding. The humble heart looks for the good in others. The proud heart is argumentative. They have to prove that they're right. The humble heart seeks peace. The proud heart is very demanding. My rights, my way, it's all about me. But the humble heart is very forgiving. What is best for us? The proud heart will complain when overlooked. But the humble heart will cheer on the success of others. The proud heart wants to maintain control. The humble heart surrenders control. The proud heart is defensive when criticized, very arrogant. The humble heart is very teachable. The proud heart is overly concerned about what others think about them. The humble heart, it's not what others think, but it's what God knows about me. The proud heart has a very difficult time saying I'm wrong. The humble heart is quick to admit failure and to seek forgiveness. The proud heart is remorseful over their sin, but only if they're caught. The humble heart is truly sorrowful and repents or turns away from their sin. The proud heart focuses on the failure of others. I'm not as bad as that other person. That, that proud heart will always try to find ways to bring you down. But the humble heart has a deep sense of their own spiritual need. Search me, O oh God. Try me. The proud heart says, what's in it for me? You owe me entitlement. The humble heart is living for a cause greater than self. The cause to serve God, to serve others. Philippians 1.29, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. 
So if you just had your annual spiritual heart checkup, which side of that chart would you be checking things off? The proud heart? The humble heart? The humble heart will always live for a cause greater than self. The proud heart will always live for their own cause. In chapter 7, Esther reveals to the king that she is a Jew and that Haman has just ordered the execution to kill all the Jews. So the king is angry and he orders that now Haman be hung on the gallows. In chapters 8, 9, and 10, we see that all of the Jews were saved. Esther saved her people. You know, even as I say that, it says to me this morning that there's people here that you can be instrumental in saving. I don't mean spiritually saving them, but you can be instrumental in being an influence for good, or you can be a Haman. Esther had come to the kingdom for such a time as this, and she fulfilled that call. We've all been called. We've all been put here for such a time as this, but what are we doing with that? Esther lived for a cause greater than self, a cause that could have cost her her life, but instead it gave her life. That reminds me of salvation. God gives us eternal life. Have you ever felt that some powerful person or event was about to crush you? Sometimes people will build walls around you that may be intimidating, isolating, taunting you. There are those people that may speak very unkindly about you. Walls that perhaps discourage you. Walls that may come in accusatory tones. Walls that prevent you from finding freedom and hope. Remember that those walls can come down when you connect with a cause greater than yourself. That cause is Jesus Christ. God is your defender. He's your healer. He's your comforter. He's your deliverer. God is your friend. God is your savior, your redeemer. God is the one who will take make that pathway for eternal life in heaven. Remember the words of John 4 and 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, in the last four principles, I want to give credit to Chuck Swindle for some of the thoughts I extrapolated from his writing on Esther. Principle number seven. When preparing for an unprecedented event, wait on the Lord. Preparation can mean preservation. Esther allowed herself to be prepared for the task. Remember that God's preparation time can sometimes be long and uneventful. Moses spent 40 years in the desert looking after sheep before coming to deliver the Israelites. Then, of course, we have the story of David in the Bible. He was a shepherd boy looking after sheep. When a soul craving started to stir within his heart, 
causing him to respond to God, 1 Samuel 17. You may remember the story how Goliath hated the people of God. Why do so many people hate the people of God? When we stand for love, for peace, for gentleness, kindness, that's what we're supposed to be standing for. So Goliath was going to destroy all the Israelites. So David made a decision to take food to his brothers who were on the front lines fighting. He was shocked when he got to the front lines. He saw what the situation was. His brothers and the Israelites, they were in fear of the giant Goliath. David said, asked the question, he said, what happens to the one who takes out Goliath? So David's older brother, Eliab, he, he gets annoyed at David. Because he really thinks, well, David, you really don't belong on the battlefield. Have you ever been in a situation where someone inferred or even said it, you don't belong? You're not one of us. You're not connected. And I love David's response. He said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? You see, David was spiritually prepared. He fought the giant with a slingshot and five stones. The Israelite says, Goliath's too big. David said, hmm, that boy's so big I can't miss him. (laughs) So it's all in our perspective, isn't it? And that brings us to life principle number eight. When dealing with an unpredictable person, Count on the Lord to open doors. Our fear can become his favor. Esther found favor with the king, and so did Mordecai. Even the the Bible says Jesus grew in favor with God and man, Luke chapter 2 and 52. When you live a life pleasing to God by obeying his will, you will find favor with God. The Bible has many examples of that. Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Luke 1 and 38, it says this about Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then, of course, in the book of Esther, if I die, I die. Joshua 24:15 As for me and my house we will serve the Lord. Nehemiah 6 and 3 I will not come down. I have a job to do. And then in John 4:34 where Jesus said my will is to do the will of the Father. And then Philippians 1:21 which is one of my life verses for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what's your cause this morning? You know, along with these verses in the Bible, there are many ordinary people, just like many of you right out here, who are living for causes greater than self. Some of you may be familiar with the name Oscar Pistorius. If you watch the Olympics, you may have heard his story. He's a runner from South Africa. He's competing in the Olympics. And you might say, so? Hundreds are competing. Yes, but he's a, he's a runner, but he's got no legs. His cause is to raise awareness that just because you're born with a disability, it does not 
disqualify you from being a part of the Olympics. He was born with no fibula bones. He's known as the fastest man with no legs. And he said this in one of his interviews. I view challenges not as barriers, but as boundaries that can and will be pushed. What a great attitude. And then on June the 6th, there was an article on Global TV about Dr. Rob Sedlak. Some of you may have seen that. He moved to Alberta from Prague about 11 years ago. And he worked as a high-rise window cleaner, firefighter, car mechanic. He's married, has a child. He did it because he has a cause. He wanted to become a medical doctor. After 11 years of schooling, he graduated from medical school. And now he's going to serve in the Canadian Armed Forces. And he said, there comes a point where it's not all about you. You're serving your country. So today I say, what is your cause? What has God done in your heart and in your life? I'm sure for Rob, Dr. Rob Sedlak, it was not easy. But he had a cause. He didn't look for everyone else to do something for him. He made it happen. Life Principle 9. When working through an unpleasant situation, trust the Lord for enduring patience. And always remember, delays are not denials. Esther got her timing right. Maybe God has put something in your heart. Don't just jump in and do it. Learn to wait. They that wait upon the Lord. You wanted me to sing at least one, right? <laughs> but Gentry, you do much better than I do. But God is saying, like, reminding us, don't just jump in, but wait on the Lord. God will move in his time and in his way when we remain faithful and alert to his leadings. Proverbs 16 and 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines the step. And that gives us the last principle, principle number 10. Now, this is kind of a long one, so control room, leave this one up so people can hopefully jot it down. When standing against an unprincipled enemy, in other words, those with the proud hearts, Ask the Lord for invincible courage. Remember, your background does not hinder your future with God. Esther was an orphan. Some of Jesus' disciples were fishermen, tax collectors. One was a doctor. I don't know what your background was. But your background does not determine what God can and will and desires to do through you. It's your faith in God that will make a difference. It is not whether or not you have limbs or do not. It's what's in that heart, a proud heart or a humble heart before God. I have Wally sitting here in the front row. He's in a wheelchair. He comes into our office pretty well every day and volunteers. He doesn't look at what he cannot do. 
but he looks at what he can do. He's got a cause greater than self. I admire, amen. So what cause are you living for? As we go through life, we all come to a crossroads where our worldview of life, our purpose, and God will be challenged. Even now, your worldview is being challenged. As you ponder the question, even now, what cause am I living for? Is the cause that I'm living for making a difference? Is it significant? Is the cause that I'm living for, how is it impacting or influencing my eternal destiny? Comedian George Carlin wrote wrote something profound in the late 70s and 80s. And here's a little bit of what he said, and I quote, The paradox of our time in history is that we spend more but have less. We have more conveniences but less time. We have more degrees but less sense. We have more knowledge but less judgment. More experts yet more problems. More medicine but less wellness. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. We've learned how to make a living but not a life. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but we have trouble crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've cleaned up the air, but we've polluted the soul. We plan more, but accomplish less. We've learned to rush, but not to wait. We build more computers to hold more information, to produce more copies than ever, but we communicate less and less. Then he went on to say, remember, spend some time with your loved ones because they're not going to be around forever. Say a kind word to someone who looks up to you in awe because that little person will soon grow up and leave your side. Remember to hold hands and cherish the moment with your loved one for someday that person will not be there. And always remember, life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. And to that I would add, life is measured by the cause that you're living for. We all have soul thirsts. We all have those core cravings. We build assumptions about those cravings. Some of our assumptions are accurate and some are not. We desire to belong, but oftentimes we go about belonging only to be disappointed because we set the bar so high no one can reach it. Let me say today that there's only one who can satisfy that deep longing, that soul craving to belong, to be significant, to be accepted, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the greatest cause that we can live for. He's the only one worth dying for. He's the one who died for the greatest cause of all, to give us eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The songwriter penned these words. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny. It was the lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for you, for you. For you, for you, and for me. For such a time as this, God is calling you to live for a cause greater than yourself. 
I believe that this is a time that is reminding us to check the status of our hearts, to let go of the hurts and the bitterness of the past, to embrace the future that God has for you. Perhaps you've compromised your values. Perhaps you've compromised on your convictions. But today God is calling you back to live for a cause greater than yourself. In a moment, Becky is going to sing a song called For Such a Time as This. And as she sings, I want you to listen to these words. And I also want you to prayerfully consider and reflect on these three questions as Becky sings. What is my cause and calling in life? Secondly, with the cause I'm living for, when I get to where I'm going, where will I be? In other words, my eternal destiny. It'll either be heaven or hell. And then the third question, what choices and changes do I need to make so that my life will be lived for a cause greater than self?
we are here for such a time as this. So what is your cause? What are you living for? If you've not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we have prayer partners who will be here after the service. would love to talk to you about that. For others, it will be a decision day when you realize that, you know what, my life is really messed up. I don't even know what my cause is. So if you need to just pray with someone, we don't do counseling here. It's just praying with you, agreeing with you in prayer. We invite you to take time and do that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us today through this beautiful song for such a time as this that, God, you come to speak to us. God, gently you're speaking into the hearts of all of us. What's your cause? When we get to where we're going, where will we be? What choices, changes do I need to make so my life will really count? So that I can make a difference for the glory of God. So that I can show that heart of humility rather than anything that would look like a proud heart whatsoever. God, we surrender to you and we invite you, Lord Jesus, to purify us, to accept us, to love us, and to launch us, O God, so that we can influence others for the glory of God. Father God, we thank you today for who you are, for what you've done in our lives. Every person here is important. Every person here has the same opportunity to belong, to be accepted. Jesus says, for such a time as this, today, you can live for a cause greater than self. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Peace be unto you and to your household. Amen. God bless you and go out and be a nuisance to the devil.